calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to Episode 5 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 10, Diurnia Orbital, December 20, 2372. The overnight watch clicked over without incident. I spent a big chunk of it in the cabin, with my grav trunks locked on the middle of the deck. Other than my uniforms and the loose stuff in the head, I found surprisingly little that I wanted to take with me. I decided to ask Gwen if she wanted any of the hangings. They were really carpets that the co-op had picked up for trade, and I'd bought them before they had a chance to do much more than get them aboard. I kept looking at them, thinking I'd leave them if she wanted them. I spent a couple of stands near the end of the watch, making sure my logs were up to date, and clearing the backlog of message traffic so Gwen wouldn't come into the same kind of mess that greeted me on arrival. I had an odd sense of peace about the whole thing. It struck me as odd, like I should have been angry or even sad that I was leaving my first command under such artificial conditions. While I did feel a bit of sadness, a small regret that I'd not be there to see how they'd carry on, there was an offsetting feeling of anticipation. Of course, I had no idea what would happen with the Chernyakova, and a small part of my brain was back there screaming at me, telling me that it was all going to come tumbling down, that I shouldn't be leaving this ship. Another part, I hoped a more rational part, was taking a broader view. Much of the circumstance that had me wrapped up was caused by the sudden death of Jeff Maloney. If things went as planned, I wouldn't ever worry about credits again. And if they didn't, well, I had quite a nice bit set aside. And with some careful management, it would see me back on a bridge somewhere. Finally, around 0400, I'd done all I could. It left me with a sense of closure. Looking ahead at the day, if it went as we expected, it would go smoothly. If it didn't go that way, we'd have a good foundation upon which to base our new solutions. It felt pretty good, and I smiled as I started a fresh pot of coffee and started puttering around the galley to make breakfast. Mr. Wyatt came down around 0415 and joined me. He smiled to see me smiling, and we didn't talk much, just said about the tasks that we both knew needed to happen to feed our crew. Thank you, Ishmael, he said, during a lull in the activity. I looked over at him from where I was working biscuit dough on the counter. Thank you, Avery. You've done everything I ever asked and more. He snorted a soft laugh. You knew what to ask, and nobody else did. How did you do that? His voice had a kind of wondering quality to it. I'm not a spacer, Avery. I smiled at him. I didn't start out as a spacer, okay? He nodded. 
I never know what's supposed to happen because I'm just not from around here. Everything I do is something I've learned to do since my 18th birthday, not something I grew up with. At every step, I've had to ask not just what and how, but why. A lot of the time, the answer is habit. We've always done it that way, so we'll keep doing it. I shook my head. I don't know how it's always been done. So I find all these odd things, like bad standing orders and crazy jump parameters. And cargo chiefs who get cargo assignments from central dispatch? He grinned at me. Yeah, that too. But that's how. It's because I don't know much about this place, and I'm constantly asking the kinds of questions that nobody else does because they already know the answers. I'm so dumb I have to ask. Yeah, your dumbness has really taken its toll here, Skipper. He smiled at me and flipped some bacon out of the broiler and onto a plate for the warming oven. We worked along for a while before he spoke again. Anyway, thanks. You're welcome, I said. At 0545, Gwen came down to relieve the watch and carefully didn't ask if there was any news, although I could see the strain of not asking around her mouth. Long night, I asked her. A bit, but I've had longer. How about you? Long watch? I shook my head. I found a few things to do and managed to stay busy. She gave a low chuckle. I just bet. At 0600, Avery announced breakfast mess, and I took my place at the head of the mess line, leading the parade. As we all settled at the table, Mr. Paul looked up at me with a wicked gleam in his eye. Well, Skipper, your predictions from last night aren't holding up so well, are they? The grin on his face told me he was up to something, but I couldn't imagine what it was until I looked around the table and realized the whole crew was present again. You'll have to forgive me, Mr. Paul, but what are the odds of that happening twice in consecutive meals while in port? He toasted me with his mug. You had the odds in your favor, I'll grant you, Captain, but there's a lesson for you. Even the longest odds occasionally come in. I clinked my mug to his with a wry smile. Too true, Mr. Paul, and I'll take this lesson to heart. That broke the rather brittle silence, and we passed a pleasant stand at breakfast, each of us apparently enjoying the simple pleasure of being together. We finished up and began clearing away. Nobody wandered far, and the cleanup went particularly quickly. There was a certain sense of anticlimax, but also of anticipation. At 07.45, Mr. Schubert and Hill headed up to the flea market. Ms. Arione was on the brow, and the rest of us settled around the table. "'You know this could be a long wait, right?' I asked, looking around at the assembled crew. Mr. Paul looked at me like I'd grown a second head. "'You don't really expect us to wander off with this hanging over us, do you, Captain?' "'I suppose not.' We sat there awkwardly for a few ticks, sipping coffee and not talking. Avery finally asked, "'Should we break out the cards or something?' "'Isn't there something we're supposed to be doing?' the chief asked with a brittle edge to her voice. "'Well, how are we fixed for getting underway?' They all looked at me. "'If this all comes tumbling down and none of the plans works out the way we think they will, then we're getting underway tomorrow before they can change their minds.' I grinned at them. The chief started to laugh softly. "'Do we have stores, Mr. Wyatt?' I started the familiar litany. "'Yes, Captain. Final shipment of fresh produce due in the morning, but all freezers, chillers, and non-perishables are stocked and ready. "'Chief, how are the girls feeling?' Feisty and ready to go, Skipper. Full tanks and all systems charged. Port scrubber was just changed out, and starboard is good for another couple of weeks. Astrogation. We got all the updates loaded, Mr. Paul? We do, Skipper. Cleared for jet, and all updates for the quadrant have been loaded. I have our exit course plotted and ready to file as soon as we have a go. Currently scheduled for 1525 tomorrow afternoon. Ms. Thomas, it seems the ship is in good shape and ready to go. Well, for the moment, Skipper, she said with a gentle smile. My tablet bit me, and I pulled open the message. Everybody went silent, waiting for me to finish it. I was conscious of their intense scrutiny and tried very hard to control my expression. 
Congratulations, Captain Thomas, I said, looking across the table with a genuine smile. We all sat there, listening to the blowers pushing the air through the vents for a full tick before she pulled herself together enough to say, Thank you. It broke the spell, and I continued with the news. Your license is on its way over by courier and should be delivered to me shortly. Miss Kingsley will be here at noon for the change of command ceremony. I'm almost all packed and will vacate the cabin immediately. They all looked at me, each with a different expression. The new Captain Thomas looked a bit stunned, but Avery was by her side, and he simply regarded me with a small smile. Mr. Paul's expression had a bit of awe around the edges, but the chief's expression carried a hefty dose of contemplation, as if she were seeing me for the first time and wondering who I was. Avery recovered first. Well, then, we need to find a new first mate, then, don't we? That got Captain Thomas's attention, and she nodded to him almost absently. Should we post the opening, Captain? I shook my head. Come up to the cabin. I looked at the waiting list last night and have a couple of prospects you should look at. If you don't like the looks of them, I'll show you how to file it with home office. Okay, then, Avery said. I need to find something for lunch. Do you think Miss Kingsley will join us after? I chuckled. I don't know, Avery. Anything is possible, I suppose. He frowned and untangled himself from the bench. Well, let me see just what I have in my bag of tricks. Mumbling to himself, he headed back into the stores area and closed the door behind him. We all stood after that and went our separate ways. The chief headed down to engineering. Mr. Paul went up to the brow, and Captain Thomas followed me up the ladder to the cabin. When we entered, she spotted the two grav trunks in the middle of the deck and the empty spot above the desk where my master's license had been displayed. She gave me a wan smile. I thought you were kidding, Captain. I shook my head. Nope. I packed everything but the wall hangings and the cushions on the bench. The cushions kind of go on the bench, but you could have them recovered if you want. The wall hangings are just decoration, but I left them up in case you want them. She looked around in a daze. Funny, she said. I've been in here dozens of times, maybe hundreds. She looked at me. I feel like this is the first time I've seen it, really seen it. Well, you know, Mr. Maloney had a tradition of offering to paint the cabin for any new captain. I looked around. This is kind of dark-colored. You might be thinking of what color you want to have them painted for you. She shook her head. I actually like this, and it's not been that long since you painted it. She wandered around the cabin, entered the sleeping compartment, and the head. No, I like these colors. She contemplated the wall hangings. The hangings you can take. I've got some of my own I'll put up. It was a matter of less than a tick for me to get them down, folded and stowed in the top of a grav trunk. I latched the top and crossed to the desk. Okay, let's take a look at these first and see if you like any of them. We spent a few ticks with her, looking over my shoulder at the console screen, reviewing the names and faces, dossiers and service jackets. In reviewing them the night before, I was surprised to see names I recognized. It really was a small community, and the hiring pool only reinforced that. When we got to the end of the list, Gwen plunked herself down on the bench and crossed her hands on her lap. Who do you like? I asked her. Any of them? Alan Benedict, she said, after only a short pause. He's got tractor experience. He was third mate on the Achilles, and he was first for a stanier on a mixed freight hauler. The boondocks, wasn't it? And I pulled up his record again. Yeah, boondocks. Indy out of Fisher. His jacket's a little sketchy as to why he left there. She shook her head. Verity Copeland was skipper on the boondocks. Still is, as far as I know. She was two years ahead of me at the academy. You say that like it's grounds enough, I said with a grin. She grinned back. It is. What about this guy, Jiro Watsuka? I pulled the record back up and leaned out of the way so she could see the screen from where she sat. 
Yeah. He spent a long time as second and has no tractor experience, but he's got great performance reviews and a letter of recommendation from his last skipper. She nodded thoughtfully. Yes, either of them would work. Can we get them in for interviews? I used the console to flash each of them a message, asking them to contact Captain Thomas after 1300. Will that work for you? She nodded. Perfect. She looked around the cabin, measuring it with her eyes. She saw me watching her and shrugged. Sorry. No, it's going to be your home this afternoon. I've all but moved out already. I'll get these trunks down to the main deck and park them there. You'll be able to start moving in immediately if you like. She shook her head. No, I haven't packed anything yet. It'll be this afternoon before I drag my stuff over. Don't wait too long, I cautioned. You'll want your new first to be able to move in. Now, if I need to, I can be out of there in half a stand. It took me a little longer than that to pack, but not much more. You just barely moved in, it seems like. I sighed. Yeah, it does. But who knows? Maybe I'll be in my next ship longer. She laughed. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you, Captain. My tablet bipped, and I read a message from Ms. Arione. I think your package has arrived. I rose and headed for the ladder to the lock. The courier stood just inside with a flat package that I needed to sign for. I thumbed the courier's tablet and accepted the package. It was addressed to me, but it seemed like a familiar size and shape. I left Ms. Arione to let him out while I went back to the cabin and Captain Thomas. As I climbed the ladder, I pulled a tab on the package and slipped out the heavy paper inner envelope addressed to Gwendolyn Thomas and showing an official CPJCT return address. Seeing it reminded me that I had one additional duty to perform, but it could wait for a few ticks. Captain Thomas was waiting for me where I left her, sitting on a bench under the wide armor glass port. She looked at home there, solidly there in a way that I wondered if I'd ever been. I don't know if it was the heavy worlder in her that made her seem so, or something else. I shrugged it off and crossed the cabin to hand it to her. It's official. Congratulations, Captain. She took the envelope from me and slipped the heavy paper gingerly from the wrapping. She held it in both hands and examined it in the reflected light streaming in over her shoulder from the side of the orbital. Thank you, Captain, she said softly. For everything. I smiled. Shut up, Miss Thomas. She grinned and stood, giving me a hug. Shut up yourself, Ishmael Huang. If her husky, heavy-worlder voice had a bit more burr to it than normal, I made it a point not to notice. She let me go, and I turned to get my grav trunks slaved together and started delicately maneuvering them out of the cabin and down the ladder without crushing myself in the process. Halfway down, I realized that dragging them up was a whole lot easier, and in retrospect, I should have taken them down one at a time. I did eventually manage it and locked them to the main deck just under the ladder where they'd be out of the way, but handy for me to slide them off the ship when the time came. With the trunks secured, I had one more thing I needed to do before noon, and I headed for the lock. Ms. Arione checked me out, and I made a beeline for the chandlery. There wasn't any real need to hurry, but this was one time I didn't want to be late. When I got to the chandlery, it took me a few ticks to find the right department, but eventually I located the counter where they dispensed the rank insignia and stepped up only to find the clerk arguing with Avery Wyatt. The clerk was apologetic but adamant. I'm sorry, but I can only sell those to a captain. But I'm buying them for her, Captain. She's on duty and can't come get them for herself right now. The clerk just shook his head and dug in his feet. You don't understand, sir. I know what you're saying, and I'm sure your captain really needs these stars, but I can only sell them to somebody of equal or higher rank. I cleared my throat, and they both turned to look at me. Excuse me, but I think I can solve this problem. Relief washed across the clerk's face. Captain, I was just trying to tell Mr. 
he leaned over to read the name on his ship suit, Wyatt here, that I can't sell him Captain Stars. I know you can't, but I'm a captain. I fingered the worn stars on my collar. You can sell them to me, can't you? Well, of course, sir. Avery finally recovered himself. Captain, what are you doing here? Apparently the same thing you are, Avery. Gwen sent me down to pick up some stars so she'll have them for the change of command. Sorry, Avery, that's just not possible. So it seems. I turned to the clerk. I need a pair of gold captain stars, please. Of course, Captain. The clerk pulled a black velvet box holding a pair of captain stars from the locked cabinet under the counter. He held them up for me to see before snapping the lid closed and offering me the tab to sign, before giving me the box. I took the box and looked at Avery. See? Easy. He held out his hand for the stars. Thanks, Captain. I'll... I stood there with a grin, shaking my head. Sorry, Avery. This is one job I'm going to do. You'll have to get her something else. I nodded to the clerk and headed out of the chandlery with Avery on my heels. I'm not following this at all, Skipper. It's okay, Avery. It's just one of those things. As her captain, it's my honor to give her her first stars. We exited onto the promenade and headed for the lift. Freddy de Groot gave me my first ones, and I intend to pass the favor on to Gwen. I winked at him. It's a captain thing. He chuckled. Okay, you win. We walked almost all the way back to the ship in silence. As we approached the lock, he turned to me. Can I tease her a bit about not being able to buy any before you give them to her? Are you sure you want to get her mad at you, Avery? Well, we can always make up after. He winked at me. I was still laughing when we keyed the lock and went back aboard. Chapter 11, Diurnia Orbital, December 20, 2372 Around 11.30, Captain Thomas came down from officer country and stepped into the glorious aromas that filled the mess deck. Avery, what are you cooking? He smiled over at her. I found some fresh turkey at the chantlery and thought this was a good reason to cook it. She wandered over to the galley and examined the array of foods that we'd put together. She looked up at me with a smile. Your last few stands aboard and you've been cooking, Captain. I grinned down at her. I don't know when I'll have a chance to do this again. It seemed as good a way as any to spend my last few stands here. She chuckled and shook her head. You never cease to amaze me, Captain. I snapped my fingers. I keep trying for a muse. They both laughed at that. She turned to Mr. Wyatt. Avery, did you get that other thing I asked you to pick up? Oh, no. I meant to tell you when I got back. No. Her face clouded and she cocked her head to one side. No, you didn't get them? He paid very close attention to the gravy that was thickening on the stove. That's right. They wouldn't sell them to me. Apparently you have to be a captain to buy them. She deflated visibly and looked at the chrono on the bulkhead. Well, I guess I have time to run down there myself, but... She looked at him again and saw his grin, stopped in mid-sentence and cocked her head. I reached up to my collar and pulled the stars off the tabs. Lucky there happens to be a captain in the neighborhood, huh? I reached forward and, removing her first mate pips, replaced them with my stars. It's also traditional for the new captain to get her first stars from her last captain. But captain, you can't go without stars. Gwen's alarm was evident in her face, but she didn't dare move with the sharp points of her insignia so close to her skin. Oh, I've got stars. Several sets, actually, including a pair that Federica de Groot gave me when I got my ticket. I stepped back and admired my handiwork. I'm just continuing the tradition. The scrutiny made her a bit self-conscious. She looked back and forth between Avery and me, searching our faces for some clue. Well, how do I look? Like a captain, I told her. Beautiful, Avery said. We were both right. 
But, Captain, I can't take your stars. She reached for her collar. You're not, Gwen. I'm giving them to you. But you need stars. I grinned, reached into my pocket, and pulled out a black velvet box. Flipping it open with my thumb, I pulled out a pair of shiny new gold stars and clipped them to my collar. I just happen to have a pair. What are the odds? Avery looked at me with a grin and just shook his head. I heard the lock cycle and realized it was getting on to be time. Captain Thomas and I went to the brow to meet our guest and found Mr. Hill showing Kirsten Kingsley aboard. Mr. Schubert had his head in the guest locker, stowing the co-op's flea market gear. I looked at them curiously. Closing early today, gentlemen. Mr. Schubert grinned. Sold out, Captain. We'll start our buying run tomorrow. Besides, Mr. Hill continued, we don't want to miss the change of command. Mr. Schubert grinned. I was here when you came aboard, Skipper. I wanted to be here to see you go. To say good riddance, Mr. Schubert, I asked, grinning back at him. He laughed, but his eyes were serious. To say thank you, Captain. He winked to Captain Thomas. And to see if I could fall asleep on the watchstander station again. That got a full round of laughs, even if Miss Kingsley didn't really get the full joke. The image of Mr. Schubert asleep on the tiny desk must have been sufficiently funny. I took it as a measure of how far she'd come that even Gwen Thomas laughed. "'Well, Captains,' Miss Kingsley began, "'if I could have a few words with you before we begin, "'satisfy a few formalities.' "'We made our way back into the ship, "'leaving the crew to finish sorting themselves out. "'As we entered the cabin, I knew I was going to miss that port. "'Having a view out of the ship was a constant reminder "'of the wonder that surrounded me whenever I was aboard, "'even if it only showed me the stained and too shiny metal of the orbital. "'Gwen and I took our seats on one of the sofas, "'leaving Miss Kingsley to face us across the table.' She smiled at us. First, thank you both. This has been a tough time for the company, and the repercussions will be felt for Stanya's. You two are in the right place to help us over this rough patch, and I'm sure we're going to be even more grateful in the future. At this, she cast a meaningful look in my direction. Gwen sat primly, her hands folded on her lap. You can count on me, Miss Kingsley, and of course we're glad to do whatever we can. Miss Kingsley smiled at Gwen. So you're willing to take on responsibility for this ship and crew? I feel like we've rather steamrolled you into the position, but you do have the choice. You can turn it down if you wish. Gwen glanced at me and then back to Miss Kingsley. My concern is that by taking command here, I'm costing this man his job. Miss Kingsley flashed a smile at me before answering her. And if you are, then I'll respectfully decline, Miss Kingsley. I'd much rather sail under Captain Wong than take his command, knowing he was beached and unemployed. We have a rather odd job for Captain Huang, one that only he can do for us. She glanced at me with an apologetic shrug. We don't know exactly how that job is going to get done, but you will accept my assurance that there will always be a place for him in our organization. Gwen looked at her curiously and then at me. Do you know what this job is, Ishmael? I think so. I'm not sure how we're going to manage it either, but I know what they want me to do. Are you willing to do it? Yes, Gwen. It sounds like an interesting challenge and one that I have no idea if I can pull off. Can you tell me what it is? I looked at Miss Kingsley. Miss Kingsley looked back and forth between us. You didn't tell her already? I shook my head. I didn't think it was something we wanted spread around. She looked at Gwen. Will it make a difference to your taking command here if we say we can't tell you? Gwen smiled. Goodness, no. I'm just dying to find out what impossible task you've picked for this poor man next. That made us both laugh. Miss Kingsley nodded. Fair enough. We want him to train our new CEO. Gwen's eyes bugged out and her head swiveled from Miss Kingsley to me and back. What do you think Ishmael can teach him? Her, Miss Kingsley corrected. And we don't know. 
Her? Gwen looked confused. The new CEO is a woman? Christine Maloney. Jeff left a majority share in DST to his daughter. That gives her, traditionally, the title of CEO. Gwen focused on me. You knew about this? Of course. I still have no idea how we're going to do it, but yes. She shook her head in amazement. You're either the bravest man I ever met or the dumbest. Those aren't mutually exclusive, I observed. So, Miss Kingsley refocused our attention. Captain Thomas, you'll take the Agamemnon. Of course, Miss Kingsley. Any questions? Can I get the cabin painted? Miss Kingsley struggled to put some meaning to the question, but it was all I could do to stifle a laugh. Painted, Captain? I understand it's traditional at DST that the company paints the cabin for any new captain. Miss Kingsley looked at me. Jeff started it. Ask Captain Delman about it next time you see him. She looked bewildered by the idea, but acquiesced. All right, sure. Just let us know what color you want. Thank you, Miss Kingsley. I'll think on it and let you know later today. She settled back into her seat, a satisfied smile on her face. Anything else? Miss Kingsley looked back and forth between us a couple of times. I shook my head. Nothing here. Gwen shrugged. Me either. Well, then, let's get this thing taken care of, and I'll let you get on with that delicious-smelling meal. You're invited if you like, Miss Kingsley, Gwen told her. That startled her. Really? Why not, I asked. Plenty of room at the table, and if I know Avery, enough food to feed half the dock. She looked like she was thinking about it, but shook her head. First things first. Let's get this changeover done. We left the cabin and headed for the bridge. It was nearly noon, and when we got to the top of the ladder, we found most of the crew already there. I heard footfalls on the ladder behind me and turned to find Mr. Wyatt following Miss Arione up the steep steps, rounding out our company. Mr. Paul grinned at Gwen. Crew present or accounted for, sir? Thank you, Mr. Paul, she turned to me. Captain, third mate reports, all hands present or accounted for. Thank you, Miss Thomas, I turned to Miss Kingsley. You're on. She flipped up a document on her tablet and looked around at the assembled company before reading. My name is Kirsten Kingsley, and I represent the authority of Diurnia Salvage and Transport, legal owner of this vessel named Agamemnon. I hereby give notice to all assembled that at noon on this date, command of Agamemnon will pass from Captain Ishmael Horatio Huang to Captain Gwendolyn Murray Thomas, along with all rights, privileges, appurtenances, and responsibilities. I would take this opportunity before this company to thank Captain Wong for his service as commander of this vessel and her crew. I would further congratulate Captain Thomas on this occasion of her first command and wish her a long and prosperous career. Thank you. Mr. Paul spoke from the back of the bridge. Logged at 1,200 hours, December 20, 2372. For a small crowd, they made a lot of noise, but Mr. Wyatt's voice rose above the hubbub. Can I suggest we save the speeches for the mess deck? Lunch mess is ready to be served. I turned to Gwen. Captain, I believe the honor falls to you now. She grinned and, head high, sailed off the bridge and down the two ladders to the mess deck with the crew, in order of rank, following. I held Miss Kingsley on my arm and followed up the rear. She looked at me in question. Some forms need to be observed, I told her. When we got to the main deck, I turned to her again. Will you join us for lunch? She looked at the throng gathered on the mess deck and back at me. I'd love to, but I need to get back to the office. We're still on for dinner tonight. I've got nothing on my calendar. She snorted a small laugh. Okay, then, Marcel's at 20 hundred. There should be a few people you'll find interesting. Marcel's at 20 hundred. Got it. Captain Thomas saw us with our heads together in the passage and came to join us. Thank you, Miss Kingsley, she said. Will you be joining us for lunch? 
Kirsten smiled and shook her head. Duty calls, I'm afraid. Gwen smiled and nodded. We know that song and dance by the numbers. She turned and looked into the mess deck. Miss Arione, would you log our guest ashore? Miss Arione looked up from her conversation with the other two ratings and scampered over. Of course, Captain, my pleasure. This way, Miss Kingsley. With the flip of her hand, Miss Kingsley followed Stacy down the passage toward the lock, and Gwen and I stepped onto the mess deck to the applause of the assembled crew. I caught Gwen's eye and nodded to the mess line. They're waiting on you, Captain. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode, and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation of Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>